Welcome to Teacher Talks. After having such great conversations with innovators and thought leaders in the field of education, we looked around our community for practitioners in the field who joined us to discuss what these themes could look like in actual everyday classrooms, pre-K through 12th grade. Real talk with real teachers. Let's get into it. Welcome to a special edition, an all-teacher edition of Inspire and Innovate, a podcast for educators, this time featuring a whole bunch of educators. I am Toby Lowe, and I am so lucky to be joined in beautiful Jackson, Mississippi, by three amazing educators. Uh, to my direct left is Virginia Buchanan. Virginia, would you like to just kind of introduce yourself a little bit? You know, how long have you been in the game, or... <laughs> what have you been teaching uh, most recently? So I'm a math teacher in middle school. I have also worked at the lower school. I've been at this particular school, St. Andrews, for 31 years. And uh, I feel like I've worked with pre-K through um, eighth grade in the math. And um, it's, it's my passion and it's what I love to do and hang out with silly sixth graders most of the time, most recently. <laughs> And yes, having taught those uh, kids last year, I can, I can definitely say they are silly. Uh, directly across from me, or I guess, well, as a math teacher, I should know the angle, but uh, I don't have it off the top of my head. But uh, I'm lucky to be joined by Emmy Sprayberry. Emmy, would, would you like to do the kind of the same deal? Yeah, I'm Emmy Sprayberry, and I teach visual art in the upper school, and that contains art one, graphic design one and two, photography, and yearbook. So I do that, and I've been at St. Andrews for three years. And so you kind of get every high school age, basically? You see them all? Basically. So I teach ninth through 12th, and it's always, I have a lot of blended classes. So. so yep. <laughs> and across from me is one of my teaching, like, what could have been, I feel like, right? Because there was a time when we were going to be uh, like teaching partners or at least on the same team, and then I got swept away to teach fifth grade. But Nicole Robinson is right here as well, and she is wonderful. Hey, Toby. I'm so excited to be here. And we did have super fun plans when we were all going to be on the same team together. But I hear you're doing, and I know you're doing great things up at the middle school. Um, but I'm Nicole Robinson, and I teach K-3, K-4, kindergarten, art, science, and Little Chapel. And I've been at St. Andrews for seven years. I came in with Toby. Yeah, so. that was... It was, you know, it was the a dream great class. class. It was a dream class. <laughs> we might be some of the only folks left, unfortunately. I know a couple of people have. I know. Salute to Megan Whitaker. If, I hope she listens to this and it finds her well somewhere. But y'all, we brought you here because we had a great conversation with Ian Simmons. But his view, uh, if 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 we are, if his is a bird's eye view, ours is more of an ant's eye view. I feel like he is thinking about things that are. Uh, way off in the distance and we had a great conversation with him because we kind of got him to um, distill his views and a big thing that he focused on was community and that's why we asked all you here because we thought to ourselves what are some teachers we know who are great at fostering a sense of community with their students and who are just doing really interesting things that also can link into the greater community at large um, so I just wanted to ask y'all first of all about like Mostly, I mean, there's a point where every teacher either realizes it's all about the classroom relations and the relations you have with the students, or you're like actually told that. I mean, for me, it was my second year of, of my um, teaching practicum where just my main teacher said, like, that's the most important thing, right? I hope you've learned that by now. And I realized, oh, yes, I have. Thank goodness. But I'm just wondering, you know, 
what is your story about getting into education and just about, you know, the forging of those relationships? Do you have any moves that you know you need to do with particularly tough students? Uh, anyone can just kind of jump in. Well, I love um, at St. Andrews, as we did at my previous school, we start the year with their hopes and dreams. And so getting to know the students from the very first day of school, um, doing a hopes and dreams interview of what they expect to get out of the year, and then we can tailor our curriculum around their hopes and dreams and their ideas. And even though sometimes it doesn't necessarily fit in with what we're doing at the moment, it's always something that we can add to. Um, and it just makes it special and specific to them and meaningful to them. And I love that Ian Simmons said um, that relationships are the most important piece in teaching, especially right now. So. That's one way that we do it at St. Andrews. So I kind of come from a different background where, um, yeah, I I'd always kind of dreamed eventually one day I would teach and that I wanted to teach, but I thought, oh, that's so far away. I'm going to have to get my master's and, oh, like one day. And I kind of fell into this position. I happened to see that there was a position open for a visual art teacher at the upper school. And on a, you know, like pie in the sky, I was like, well, I'll just apply. And I won't get called. Like nothing's going to come from this. But um, so that's how I came into education was just kind of um, almost by surprise and, um, you know, being the right place at the right time. Um, so my background my jobs have previously have all been community-based and all have been relationally based. And so coming into teaching, that was something that was foundational for me. And I approached it that way of like, this is just what you do. Like you can't move forward or be um, successful at your job if you don't build those relationships. Like it's integral to build that communication and trust. So that's been something that I've brought into it or how I've viewed it through my lens and giving the students voice and choice within the projects that we do and them feeling like they can say at the end when they have their critiques and they do like a self-reflection on their work, but they also self-reflect on what do they like about it, what they not like about the project. And so then I'm learning deeper about those students, not just in how they communicate with each other, but then also what they like and don't like. So that as we go, I can continue to tailor um, the projects to the students that are in the class. So, so kismet, basically. I love it. Yeah, you you were where you were supposed to be. That's, that's what it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> love it. That uh, I think COVID has uh, forced force is might be a strong word, but has provided an opportunity. Is for, a couple things have changed that have been for the better in a way. So one thing at our school, we've started eating lunch outside and most all days together with just our little advisory group, as opposed to we used to all meet as a as two full grades, which is about 150 people in a very noisy lunchroom, and so forth. So. This year, I feel like I know my advisee group better than any year ever before, and I've, I have been at this a long time. And I don't mean, and it's yes, we have a lot of little meetings for advisory groups, but it was different to sit outside 
and just chit chat and I wasn't trying to get them to be quiet or answer a question just overhearing their conversations and then knowing how to respond I've learned so much about them and their families and so forth and it's been and they seem to really like it I thought they would get bored with our group and now at the end of the year we're we're uh, now that things have eased up a little bit, we're more we're getting in bigger groups to play and eat lunch. But I actually miss it now. So now it's back to the teachers are eating together and the students are all and we're watching them. But it's not the same as listening in a circle of eight kids and really hearing their stories, what they did every weekend, uh, how their siblings are doing, and, and hearing their stories through COVID, their family illnesses or whatever they're going through. It's so a lot of things. I guess it gives me an opportunity to see, take a temperature on how their workload is and what their day was like. And just so many, you know, like, just like if you can imagine eating lunch with the same, like your family, having dinner together every night and just learning those little things. So that's been awesome, in my opinion. And I hope that's one thing that we take away that we don't go back to. That's something I've been envious of. Like, so I have a fifth grader who, you know, she, she, you know, I get to hear about their time and like the kids that eat lunch in my room or, um, you know, in, in our spaces are kids that I've taught for the last three years. So it's that, you know, that kind of bond, but, and some of them are my advisees, but not, it's just not the same in having like that purposeful, intentful time with your advisees who sometimes are students that you don't teach. And so getting to know them better. So that's something that seeing done in the middle school that I'm like, oh, that's like just so sweet. And those, those times where those kids too, who might not be in class together, get to form those deep relationships that they otherwise would have missed out on. It definitely has helped the children have new relationships so that they would normally, you know, go to their friends, close friend group to eat lunch with. And this has forced them into realizing, oh, I might like this person, you know, or they really are cool or maybe they're not so cool. But anyway, we learned something (laughs) about them. And the fun thing was that being silly sixth graders, we watched the ant piles. We found out about the tree above us and what can we had to look it up one day because it has this little bloom in the fall that really stinks. It smells like cheese. I mean, we just, <laughs> it's amazing what you can learn just sitting in a, in a small group on, on a campus. Just being out there, yeah. Just being out there. So many kids don't get that anymore. So recently we've been working in the garden at the lower school planting um, sunflowers for our, to go with along with our Van Gogh unit. And so many children, like you said, you'll overhear their stories of, I never work in the garden. I don't go outside at my house. I've never seen a worm before. Um, It's just kind of we're so overscheduled or we have so many different priorities that for some of those three-year-olds to be out in the garden with us, like finding roly-polies and earthworms, that's the first time that they had had their hands in the dirt actually looking um, and being able to explore the natural world around us. So it is, it's fascinating to to see how the outdoors has transformed um, learning. We've used it all along the way, but now it does seem a lot more intentional because of COVID. And I loved when Ian said, learning was never designed to take place in a classroom setting Mm. and that we're all you know, excited about getting outdoors with the kids and seeing the world through their eyes. 
I think we've really been victims of efficiency, right? And having a year where despite all of our best efforts to be efficient, everything's going awry anyway, it's really giving us a gift to be like, let's slow down <laughs> and focus on some things that are just, you know, beautiful or interest us more because I'm not going to get through my entire math book this year. <laughs> so, you know, let's, let's just go outside and see if we can find any rectangles outside that are naturally made. Probably not. Humans love rectangles a lot, but uh, nature is a little more curvy. <laughs> Another thing that we've done is it's, I've always no known these things like, um, calling the role uh, in classes um, where you should maybe, you know, get them to answer a question, a roll call question. But this year with, we have longer periods for because we needed more time uh, for disinfecting and all that kind of thing. So luckily we had a little longer periods and we, and we have children, some children at home. So it was very important to hear their voices, to get to know them that we're not sitting around eating lunch with. So I have done the roll call question every day, and I have learned so many things. First of all, it's good for me to learn, you know, it's all of what kind of pizza you like, but also it can be just things like who's the sweetest person you can think of, who is um, the meanest person you can think of. We didn't, <laughs> I, we didn't actually do that one, but you could have. So I had to come up with these kinds of questions, and it was very insightful. Funny, it could be funny, it could be serious. And uh, it's just another way we've gotten to know each other a little better and hear it because of the importance of hearing their voices, learning to greet each other, the old responsive classroom type, good morning, how are you, and just those manners and so forth. So I've loved that, and I hope that um, if we go back to shorter periods, well, I hope we don't go back to shorter periods. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love that though. That makes me want to use that for my kids, like just to get them talking and thinking about like ways that I could get them to interact more with each other. Uh, in the upper school, you know, we take a lot of uh, and encourage, I know y'all are too, to take like mass breaks. And so a lot of the teachers who haven't utilized the outside space before, and you're like now the kids are so used to being able to ask like, hey, can I go outside to work on this? Or can, you know, they do that in so many classes where pre-COVID, I never really had art students that wanted to go work outside. They never asked. They never wanted to. Everybody stayed inside and, you know, wanted to talk to each other and lots of crosstalk and action between all the different tables where now they are more like, hey, can I I want to go work outside. It's nice today. I would like to do this. And so it's been interesting to see that kind of shift and them feeling more empowered to ask for those things and to want to be able to have more fluidity in how they work and where they work. That makes me really curious. Have you, and maybe it's a really small sample size, but have you noticed a difference in the production of the work or, or just anything that's more interesting about them having been outside. I get that it's also just a big deal that they're advocating for themselves and just asking to be in a place, but yeah. that makes me really work curious it, about the product. I think it depends on the students mm. and the class. So for all of the, the great thing that I love about visual arts is that all of our work already was asynchronous. We just synchronously worked together, yeah. but everybody worked at their own pace as long as you finished by next time you know like they had deadlines but 
Um, so with that in hand, you know, now when you have kids that might go work out in the hall versus staying in the classroom, that tends to be a little bit different because they're working digitally. Um, for like our graphic design classes, I find that being actually in the space together is better for them because it almost keeps them apart from the community aspect that happens. Whereas in visual art, a student who might go work outside, I feel like is more productive because it's quiet, they're zoned in, they're focused, they're just enjoying the weather. Um, so it really kind of depends on the class and the students as well. So some students work really well independently, but then they also might miss out on um, some some deeper things that, you know, though they might get some work done, they're missing out on that community collaborative. Really appreciate that insight. Sorry, I just, when you were yeah, talking about yeah, it, I was like, oh my God, great. I got to know. I got to know. Um, Nicole, I was going to have a question for you, which is, uh, first of all, yeah, I heard you talking about your um, famous Dutch painter unit. I've, I've lost his name. Van Gogh. <laughs> Van Gogh, thank you. I hope he's Dutch. Oh, boy, how embarrassing. I don't know my old masters. But I'm wondering, um, what, are, what are some other just cool stuff that you're doing? Because I, when I think of you, I think of somebody who is, who's been so many different places and is so connected to trying to broaden kids experiences and horizons. I know when you were teaching kindergarten, you did so much to kind of instill a sense of wonder in their, in your students. So I'm just wondering what are some cool things that you've been doing? Um, well, we've been doing lots of fun stuff, mostly, um, outside this year, we've been getting outside a lot due to COVID. Like we've talked about, um, one of our fun units at the very beginning of the year, we talked about um, Georgia O'Keeffe, and the kids were able to get out and create observational drawings. So they would observe the flowers up close and talk about what they would see when they were um, really close to the flower. No stems, no leaves, just um, just them and kind of the, the middle of the flower. So... Um, we also, I love talking about people from different places. So our next unit in October, we went to Japan and talked about Kusama and talked about the life cycle of pumpkins and talked about how she loved creating with stones. And I love to bring in my own pictures and my own stories of some of the travels that I've done as well, some of the pictures and things that I've seen in Japan or these other places. Um, most recently, we um, have talked about the ladies from the G's Bend who uh, quilt, and they live in Alabama, and they're these amazing artists and storytellers, and um, a lot of people say that quilt making is a dying art as well as storytelling, and I just feel like in the South, those are two very important things that we need to hang on to, so it's um, it's fun to, to bring out the needles and thread and the burlap and have our youngest saints um, quilting and sitting in a circle and storytelling so everybody's getting a chance to tell their story as well um yeah there's just there's lots of fun stuff happening all the time the you can little... only imagine the amazing stories that three-year-olds have yeah. to tell <laughs> yeah. i was gonna say like about the quilting and the storytelling that if you haven't looked at bisa butler's work so she is a artist who deals with, um, you know, textiles, but they're all quilts. 
and they're all portraits. And it is amazing, wonderful, and beautiful. And she uses it to uh, kind of reclaim the narrative uh, within art and with representation, but also to retell different stories. So she uses photographs from um, the, you know, through an archive where the photographs, the individuals aren't, uh, they don't have names, but they're individuals who probably are still alive or have family members that are still alive. And it's just who takes them and gives them a new portrait. And um, so, you know, someone who probably, it came from um, a portrait that she did uh, if a quilt, the idea of like kind of flipping it and giving them like maybe if they had like tattered pants, like new pants and a new hat. Uh, came from when she did her grandmother's portrait. So oh, that's beautiful. It's really cool. You should. Look, I think. I think you. I'm gonna you look her it. up for yeah. sure. This is what it's all about: giving each other ideas, usable information. I'm thinking. I want to start doing the questions during uh, attendance. Yeah. Oh, love it. Uh, I also want to just hear from y'all about your experiences, especially when we've had to go fully virtual. Like. For example, I mean, this, maybe this is just me not being able to take a step outside of myself, but virtual artists, I mean, visual art's one of those things where I wonder, how did you manage that with everyone in separate places? Because I know you said the beautiful thing about it is that it's already asynchronous, but, you know, how did you give instruction like that? So um, the way that it looks now and the way that it looks, you know, I think this is true for everybody, the way that it looked back in, you know, March of last year, very different, but there was something kind of almost sweet about the way that it was back in March versus the way that it is now. Um, I'm, I, you know, I had an iPad at home. I had my phone. I bought a stand, um, offline and I just knew like, this is what I need to do. And they need to be able to see me for me to talk to them and they need to be able to see from overhead and I gave instruction that way so I was able to show them what they needed to do but I also would do the projects alongside them um, so like for my after school class we would all still stay connected uh, on the screens while they were working and I was doing the work with them and we would share and, you know, still show it to each other and they would still put it on the Google Classroom for them to see each other's work. But um, they were able to see what I was doing still in real time. And so I did that for my big kids too, to where they had the option to stay in uh, and work alongside, but no matter what, that I was always producing while they were working and so I had a camera going overhead the whole time and so I just kind of adapted in that way that you know ways that how can they see it but then also you know just send me a picture of what you're doing or if they had questions they could pop on and I could actually show them and still do demos and still be connected that even though it was through a screen that did not um deter or make it like not possible to create and so it was just adapting to what resources do we have and uh kind of going from there i hope that helps <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely helps me but, understand yeah, yeah absolutely the great thing with like google classroom and uh the ability to share screens when you're working in like graphic design is they're still able to work and show and so you can work alongside and they can see um, what you're doing by, you know, flipping the screens back and forth or them sending you their work and you can pull it up and show them and then send it back to them. 
um, but then the ability for everyone to, to still see what they're working on. So that's the one thing I've liked digitally with like the graphic design aspect of it. It's been a little bit harder with K3 and K4. <laughs> so um, we, uh, I would introduce a project like through a story um, or introduce an artist through a story and then show the finished product and create the product. A lot of the students would be jumping in and on the the camera at different times. So it was always fascinating to see what they came up with because a lot of it was their interpretation of what they had seen in their three-year-old attention span. <laughs> um, but it's awesome. We used um, Seesaw as like our outlet and so the parents would post to me their um children's projects like we know that you did the rabbit with pastels this is the interpretation that the students got of this rabbit or the impression of the fall leaves and um it would always be kind of interesting but as soon as the kids have joined us we've gone back and we've looked um as a group on the screen of, of the things that they created during that time. And it's just so funny. It's so fun. And some of the pieces, um, the kids wouldn't use the paper at home, so they were creating with nature, and that would be the piece that the parents clipped and sent to me. So in any freestyle way that they're able to create and express themselves and get basically the same idea, um, it, was, it was fascinating. It's been an adventure for sure. Awesome, thanks. And just just for our, the benefit of our listeners, Seesaw is an app. It is. It's and wonderful. It's a um, sharing app where um, parents and staff can like talk back and forth. The students can use it as well. We just with our littles, um, the parents are using it. So sounds about right. Yes, but you can um, videos. You can talk to the kids. Like I'll leave um, a video explanation or a video idea after I've seen a piece so that the kids can go back and listen and watch me like critique their piece so it, it's really exciting it's a neat a neat form of it's a neat platform awesome Virginia when when you were you and I were working pretty closely together when the world turned upside down and we realized we had to put everything online um just I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience because you are not someone who's afraid of trying new things. I think that's one of the things I most admire about you as a as a colleague is that you you're always game to try something new. So I just like to hear about your experience with having we had what a week to uh, completely transform our curriculum to be completely online. It was a it was a week. In fact, it was about a year ago today, and uh, we were talking about that the other day when I was walking with another colleague of ours who I walk with most every day, and we would work all day and try to learn this, and then we'd go walking and go, oh my gosh, but then we would say, oh well, did you? How do you do this? I mean, how do you attach that? How do you do this? And she would tell me, or she would go home and send me a video, and I would she would go, well, how do you do that? And so we te so having that partnership. I was really lucky. She's a neighbor of mine, so it was really convenient. It was also really good after spending all day on the line with your eyes and your headache. 
and I finally got the right glasses and the, you know, the blue lights and all, you know, we've learned a lot, so many things, but here's what I kind of compare it to. It was kind of like when you first turn time, you learned to drive and you had to think about every move and you had to think about the gear and think about the lights and think about, and now you get in the car and you don't even think about it. And I was thinking today because I was doing four different things at once, some posting and some making a correction oh yeah there's a lot of corrections and the children are so i digress but i have to say the kids have been so helpful along the way and so um patient i thank them every day for their patience of course sometimes i have to remind them but um they are also we have model learning and i think i had forgotten how hard it is sometimes to not understand what's going on. And I had more empathy this year for students who were like, I just don't understand this. And you would, you know, when you want to get louder or you get faster or you repeat yourself and say, that's not helpful. So it was a great way to model learning something new, something hard. We preach it all the time, but we don't really, anyway, we, we got, we got some real good life lessons. So um, yes, it's been an interesting year, but back to the driving thing. So now I feel like it's just automatic. Not that I know everything about it, <laughs> but I certainly compared to, or if we're looking for growth, which we teachers are always looking for growth. I feel like I've grown, grown, I've grown as a teacher. I think the students have definitely grown in their tech skills. And we just today, I was overlooking a student who was using a something on, um, uh, the, our calendar it was some kind of task are you familiar with oh, the yeah, task yeah. Mm-hmm. and that i said all right you're going to teach the rest of us how to do that tomorrow so she that's how she keeps up with her assignments so it's uh another thing is we're always trying to think of how we use the t- we have these fabulous tools it's kind of like having this wonderful iphone and you know there's so many things that we could do on it that we don't know how to do we just know how to email and call and anyway so i, I think we're all going to just take off and learning and help each other. And I hope the kids can teach us and the students and we'll teach them and it'll be a, a great model of community learning instead of me you know, being the empowered one. Mm. Yeah, and that just reminded me too. I've been in my head right now thinking of community very narrowly as like, ooh, me and my students. And I figured obviously it's the colleagues, it's everyone else helping each other out. The number of times I've had to ask the wonderful Rebecca Bernhardt, who's a, the fifth grade science teacher, does how to do almost anything, you know, is is in the uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. So yeah, thanks for that. And even get a repeat because, you know, you might she might show you one time, you may not use it again for a long, long time. And you might need a repeat. And there's, I've ne- I have to say, my colleagues here are, and our students have been patient. Nobody's ever like been disrespectful of anybody who does. And I hope that we model that to our students. You know that it's okay to make a, to be a risk taker, try something new. But it's okay to say in a meeting that worked for me. I still don't understand that. Be vulnerable because we certainly it it just helps us have the perspective of a student and their challenges. Mm. Absolutely. That I'm so glad you talked about risk taking. That was going to be the last thing I wanted to ask y'all. And you were speaking about something really awesome before we started recording. So you might want to pull back to that, but just, and we call this gems and flops internally, but you know, we've had to do brand new things almost immediately. And my, I guess the best way to put it is like, what are you planning on keeping? that you've had to do because of Mm. COVID and what can you not say goodbye to fast enough? (laughs) Oh gosh. Uh, 
I love that question. Um, for me, so I think it kind of, you know, the risk taking um, kind of times ties into, you know, everyone's kind of scared to take those risks because what about failure? And that I really have looked at it through um, redefining what failure means and what failure means to you personally, not what failure means like on a broader scale or what other people might think is failure. And I had a friend who um, said it this way, that no matter, you know, and it was in reference to an event, that no matter how many people showed up or what happened, that the success was that it happened, not, you know, whatever the outcome was, that we all uh, took steps and made something happen. And so I've try to keep that mindset with pretty much everything that I do. Uh, so that in looking at this year, that every day that I teach, even when something doesn't work or, you know, I might not keep it next year, doesn't mean that it was a failure. It just means that like, hey, we got through it, that worked, but we can try something else. And so um, I'm on the fence on some things that I want to keep. Um, I think I may have them intertwined here and there. Like my kids, before we were doing like critiques and presentations all in person, well, somehow, even though our, our classes are longer, it feels like there's less time, maybe because of all the tech. I, <laughs> I don't know. And I started seeing at the beginning of the year that like in-person presentations were not the best use of class time. And so I flipped how we were doing that and all of like critiques, presentations moved to Flipgrid where students had to create uh, a video that way and then they all had to respond to the videos so that each person also got critique back and there was engagement across the board. And that's something that I think I want to keep, but I might not use it every time because I want them to also still be able to get that in-person critique. So what we've started doing is when we share, uh, we'll do this in graphic design where everyone shares their work to the entire class to get back critique before the end of the project. So they're also getting another set of eyes versus just my opinion, you know, because they may not ask each other. So um, I've tried to kind of push that just a little bit more. But um, yeah, to the, you want me to reference what I had talked about yeah. earlier? Yeah. Okay. So, it's so cool sounding. Uh, so normally in Art One and with graphic design, we do a community, collabor community collaboration of a large scale mural. Um, it's usually in partnership with Thalyamara Hall and A Plus Signs. And the students help design it, and then we go and paint it. And so usually we also, like, will pounce the pattern. They usually have a hand in all the different aspects of it. And uh, this year's was supposed to be, you know, we I have meetings in the summer where we start to gear up and plan and dream for the next year. And so 
the next mural that uh, Thalia Mara really wanted to plan for was to do an interior mural uh, on both of the stairwells and it was going to be graphic design based and we had these big dreams and I did not create a backup for if we weren't able to go because I was thinking oh well we can you know maybe do shifts and the space is so huge but because we can't do any type of you know um, field trip yet it wasn't possible. And so here we are in March when we've usually already painted and we haven't done a mural. And so I looked back wondering, you know, realizing why didn't I buy panels? Why didn't I create the ability to like, I can build a frame and we, you know, students in the class could work on a panel each to create one large, you know, putting it all together on this, um, large, almost accordion style frame that then could travel around Jackson. And we had talked about doing um, a collaborative where the students would create something and it would travel, but it hadn't been thought about in that term. And so I just kind of look back and see like that missed opportunity of I could have had my backup plan and they still could have done a mural. And um, that may be something that I then take into uh, for next year. Uh, and try to kind of build more opportunities that it's not just one instance, but that maybe we can do, you know, more than one thing within the community. So. Ah, thank you. I kind of, I loved what Virginia said about modeling learning and to be vulnerable, to think like a student. I think that I, um, with next year and with the pandemic, I think we've all had to be super flexible and super adaptable. And sometimes we'll go into a space, I'll take my students into a space, but the Saints at Home girls need that space or um, our after school Mandarin teacher is setting up in that space. And, you know, we just take a deep breath and we're like, we're gonna go this way today and we're gonna do this instead. And I think um, just showing them how we can be adaptable and we can kind of learn anywhere and everywhere. Um, I definitely want to take that. That's a huge plus that I think we've all received over, over the virus times. Um, and things that I might want to give away or, um, I don't know. I'm real eager to like see my students without mask on. Um, I miss, they smile with their eyes, but um, I miss their smiles and their wiggly teeth and like all the goofy things that come with being in early childhood. So I'm, I'm real eager to drop the mask and, and see their expressions again. <laughs> Did, so I know like normally you say, y'all always coordinate like outside things do you feel like this year y'all did more outside um tie-ins than you normally would have and is that something that you are thinking that's something you want to push more for mm -hmm, absolutely um we did do a lot more outside i mean dawn was real um wonderful and saying hey if you need to take the kids out and just go for a walk like get fresh air see something different um 
have your body feel different movement. Um, she really pushed for that. And we did, we took a lot of opportunities to do different like nature hikes and walks. And I think with so many people nowadays, like suggesting, um, as therapy for people to go outside, like, you know, they're writing prescriptions, go outside. Like you don't need medicine. You need to spend more time in the natural world. Um, I am hoping that we get to, to utilize that more. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, I could talk with y'all for another three hours, but, uh, I know, all of you are also incredibly busy, so I'm just wondering if anyone has any amazing closing thoughts. But And if not, uh, thank you all so much for your time. But it's been a pleasure speaking with you all. Always a pleasure, Toby. <laughs> Always. Always. We were talking about you today with the sixth graders because many of them had you in first grade. Yes. Oh, oh that class. My heart. <laughs> um, well, I'm really excited, though, too, because I've got a bunch of stuff I can walk away and try and uh i hope that anyone listening to this podcast also will try different things or new things the idea of let you know giving kids the opportunity to leave the classroom once in a while and they'll do work out there or you know asking questions during um morning roll or just having a lot of time outside i think these are all things that everyone should try so i hope that anyone listening to this you know feels free to try something new tomorrow or next week or sometime I'll- I will say, like, for me, the biggest takeaway, I remember, like, kind of pre-COVID, like, share-outs and ideas from, like, across divisions. It was like, oh, well, that's what they do in lower school, and oh, that's what they do in middle school. And um, realizing that I have learned more about different resources and what I can use in my classroom and how to really um, kind of flip how I do things and think more creatively just outside of like, this is what upper school does. So this is what upper school is going to do. Um, that I really have learned more from like the ECC, the lower school, the middle school, like I, if it had not been for COVID, I don't know if I would have used Flipgrid. If it had, you know, like, I don't know if I would have been as open to all these different avenues and like Seesaw and, you know, jam boards and, you know, all these wonderful tools and resources because it was like, oh, well, my kids won't want to do that because they're older. It's like, no, this is, these are resources that can be used across all age levels that are wonderful. I've been in a group where it's, you know, they've asked like, how do you do critiques now since we can't do, you know, in person or this, it's like, oh, well, flip grids. And so to even be able to like help and communicate with other educators that are, you know, on the collegiate level of like, well, this is what we've been doing. And so to see that it's, you know, not to be so stuck in like a lane and that it really is, like, I'm just thankful to be in the community that we are in um, with so many amazing, uh, inventive individuals that just continually think outside the box because I just, I love learning new ways to do stuff and uh, finding something new. Yep. <laughs>